Creative Recovery is a community of artists, healers, activists, entrepreneurs, and anyone seeking to nourish a creative relationship to life. In this podcast, we explore creativity as an agent of healing and social change. I'm your host, Brenna, a writer, editor, and coach. Join me as I step into conversation with people of diverse backgrounds and identities committed to creative living. Are you feeling stuck, unfulfilled, or uninspired? Creative Recovery offers tools and practices to help you cultivate your authentic voice and support your mind, body, and spirit in service of creative aspirations. Whether you want to write a book, start a business, or cultivate more curiosity and compassion, the process of creative recovery will help anyone tap into their inner resources and live a life of presence and joy. Welcome to Creative Recovery Podcast. This is your host, Brenna, and I'm so honored and excited to introduce my guest today, Kate Neeson. Kate is a writer of narrative nonfiction. Her first memoir, Everything is Perfect, is the story of 10 years that taught her to trust her intuition. It's available on Audible. Her book has been featured in Oregon Arts Watch, The Baltimore Fishbowl, and The New York Post. Kate earned her BA in art history from the University of California at Los Angeles. After graduation, she moved to Florence, Italy. Two years later, she returned to Los Angeles to enjoy a rewarding career in LA's contemporary art scene. In 1994, she moved to Portland, Oregon, where she created Chairware, a design business specializing in soft furnishings. Kate's working on her second book, a memoir about her great-grandmother's fictitious ancestry, and the truth about her hidden Italian heritage. Kate still lives in Portland. She returns to Florence every chance she gets. Welcome. I'm so excited to talk to you today, Kate. Brenna, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks. Thanks so much for asking me to join you. This is exciting. So how about if we just start by having you tell us about yourself and your work? What's your story? Hmm. Well, what's my story? I've always, in regards to creativity, I think my earliest memories are around making things with my hands. I always had to have a project going and was always better at that kind of thing than moving papers around. (laughs) So being creative, making things has always been a part of who I am. And when you ask about my story, do you mean my, the story of my, that I tell in my book or my story in general? That's a really, that's a great distinction. And one that, that probably only a writer would ask. Yeah, I guess I'm curious, sort of what, what led you to writing? And I know you do collage work too. So Mm. you, you said you, you've always from an early age, just loved making things. And so why I'm curious and sort of why writing, why collage? Yeah. With writing, I would say I have always been a storyteller. I survived, I feel like I survived much of what uh, my life has uh, brought to me by telling stories and by being funny in any way I can. And sort of for me, that for me, telling stories is the attempt to make sense of the arc that all of us have in our lives, our particular 
journey, our particular, you know, the experiences that life has dealt us or that we have chosen and how through story, we make meaning from them. So for me, when I took on the job of writing a story that wouldn't leave me alone, the story I tell in Everything is Perfect, I knew I was really great at a dinner party. But in terms of writing a scene or an entire book, that was something that was beyond me. I have a degree in art history, and of course I could write a killer essay. But in terms of the art of storytelling and the way that creative nonfiction, what creative nonfiction sort of demands from us storytellers, that was a whole new thing that I needed to learn. And so back in, I would say 12 years ago, I enrolled in a memoir class At a local in Portland, we have the Attic Institute of Arts and Letters is what it's called. And they have all kinds of amazing instructors, everyone from Whitney Otto, who wrote How to Make an American Quilt, among many other things. Cheryl Strayed taught there for a while, although I was, I came after her time, but it was an amazing experience. And with that, I began to craft the stories or the chapters that would become my book. And let's see, what else can I say about that? Well, I'm, I'm really, really interested in why creative nonfiction. So I, I love that you have, you, you knew you had a story to tell and you knew that you needed some tools to tell it. Yes. And, and I'm curious why nonfiction versus fiction? Like, why were you drawn to personal writing? You know, I think I've always thought in terms of memoir for this particular story, indeed, for this story, because the story involves a historical moment in our recent history. And my part of of that story had not been told. Believe me, I wish I could have fictionalized it. (laughs) I wish it hadn't happened at all, but it did. And there was some, I can only describe it as a compulsion. I had to get this this story out of me and onto the page. And the only way, I mean, I tried to fictionalize it for a while. I tried to write it in third person. I tried all kinds of ways to distance myself from the material, but in the end, it only rang true as memoir. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if other memoirists have probably, I would imagine, have had the same experience as that. Yeah. I think too, it sounds to me like you also got a lot of personal healing out of this process of writing in telling the story and meaning making in that way. And that contract of sort of truth or authenticity that one, a memoirist has with the reader and that kind of vulnerability that unfolds in that relationship, I think can be very healing is my sense. Yes. When it's designated as memoir. Yes. And I think for me, that is 
exceptionally true. I will say, you know, my book came out in August and a lot has happened in the last couple of months, but I can't get over the just knowing that my story is out there and I was able to tell it in the way that I wanted to tell it. it it's like I've been, you know, freed yeah. for my energy is now able to go into other things that I'm excited to be working on. One of the things that I'd love to share about the writing process, and I also want to talk about the collages definitely, but for me in writing this story, and I don't know if you've experienced this or talked to other writers who have, but so much of the material of this book was really painful to, to write. The only way that I was able to access the memories and get into the scenes was to write it in present tense, which was not fun because there were, you know, when I was writing the really hard bits, I was reliving it. And, and the only way for me to write those hard bits was as if I was going through them at that moment. The gift came after finishing my manuscript. And I will tell you that I kept getting feedback. I was in all kinds of workshops. You're, you know, this is going to work better if you can put it in past tense. I tried to put it in, I couldn't do it. I, phys I could, I would sit down and I would get like, you know, a paragraph into past tense and I, I had to change it back. It was, it was just, it didn't feel right. Fast forward to finishing the manuscript or at least, you know, we think they're finished and <laughs> love how that happens. And I had been given the advice. I was trying to find an agent for the book and was not really having any luck. And I was given the advice to stop querying agents and go to some writers conferences. So this was back in 2018. I went to two, one right after the other, one which was the Writers Hotel, which is a fairly new conference in Manhattan. And the organizers of that conference do a complete manuscript read. You have to submit a finished manuscript. They go through and do a complete edit. And then you go to the conference and you work in a small group with maybe 10, 12 nonfiction writers, memoirists, and you only workshop like 5,000 words of the thing. But anyway, I came away from that um, conference with the feedback from Scott Wolven, who had done the edit of the entire manuscript. And he said, you have to put this in past tense. You have mm. got to do it. And I said, oh, I've tried. I, he goes, you have to do it. So I came home back to uh, Portland and I, I sat down, I had like two weeks before I was going to community of writers in Tahoe was called Squaw, but that's changed. I don't even know if they've decided what their new name is yet, but it's community of writers. And it was funny because when I talked to Scott about in New York, about going to that conference, I said, well, I've been you know, invited to attend. And I said, but I can't imagine going on the heels of this. And he said to me, Kate, if you got into Squaw, you go to Squaw. Yeah. <laughs> you, you go to Squaw. 
And I came home, I sat down with my manuscript. And for the first time, Brenna, I sat down and went through the entire manuscript and changed every single verb tense. Wow. It, it, I still get goosebumps when I think about it. Yeah. Because with each sentence, making that what was present into past experience set me free. Wow. Yeah. It was, I, I mean, I'm sitting here now just totally goose fleshed because it was the most amazing experience. And at the end of it, I was like, oh my God, I did it. I lived it. I wrote it. And it's behind me now. And it was, it was an amazing experience. So that I want to share with you know, with your listeners or people that are attempting to write, because I think for me, authentically, to write it in present tense was the way that it needed to hit the page. I was able to get the scenes, you know, painted in a, in a more vivid way. But that experience of of making it past was phenomenal. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I mean, words really are a very powerful way of expressing our experience. I mean, that is how that is really yeah. one of the main ways we communicate our experience and live our experience too in our heads. Yeah. Just for listeners who aren't familiar with your book, can you give just a little bit of a summary about yeah. like the main kind of points? And then I, I'd love to jump into kind of this process of healing kind of yeah. deep, deepen the conversation a little bit, because I, I think that's just so fascinating that writing it in present and then writing it in past and kind of what that was like for you. Yeah, absolutely. So my book in a nutshell, or my elevator pitch, no, it really is in, in writing it, what I understood about my story. And that's another thing that's interesting. When you start to write a memoir, you don't often know exactly what your theme is. But yeah. for me, I realized that this book really does encompass 10 years of my life in which I was given opportunities to listen to my intuition and I did not. <laughs> and because of that, I landed in some pretty spectacular circumstances. The one that my book is focused around was my second marriage to a very charming guy who on the heels of a very short marriage that I had just exited, he sort of came in and made everything perfect. It was yeah. kind of a miraculous sort of, it, at the time, providential happening. He literally walked through my front door on the same day I filed to divorce my first husband, courtesy of a dear friend who thought I needed some distraction. <laughs> and for a long time, that's what I thought he was. And, you know, it was fun. And I had a toddler and actually she was just about 13 months old. And I was also getting through uh, very difficult sexual assault. And so this, this person just kind of made everything sparkle. And I never intended to, to marry him. In fact, I, he asked me to marry him nine times, 10 times, actually, in four years. I said, no, all nine, except for that last one. And I had reasons. I, I thought he was, he was younger than me. He was, there was just something. He wasn't fully cooked yet. 
just an inkling that I probably couldn't trust him. But I married him anyway. And that decision landed me in the midst of a scandal that we know in America as the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal, or now Clinton, my ex, now ex, was having a long-term affair with Miss Lewinsky. She was my babysitter and she was a friend. And I didn't realize or I didn't understand uh, what was going on until I, I found out. And, wow. uh, and then the, the scandal broke, which brought the media to our doors. Because so it was quite a challenging set of circumstances that to say the least heartbreaking yeah. was a lot of gaslighting going on. And through this, the, the, the arc that my book traces is, okay, how did I end up here? What choices did I make that landed me here? It's a self-reckoning. It's not about anybody else and, you know, how I got into it and how I got out of it. And part of that process was vowing to learn to trust my intuition. Yeah. Oh, there's so many layers of trauma in, in that story. I mean, just layers and layers of it. And I am really curious what, I mean, you talked a little bit about how what it was like kind of, or, you know, how you relived it when you were writing yes. it and, and that, and I'm curious to know how that was. And so, and also to kind of understand how that shift to making it past was so healing for you, yeah. making the tense past. That's a, that's all of those are really good questions. Let me see. Um, I mean, I'm curious, like, what did it look like for you to be reliving that? And were the, how did you get distance from it before you chose to make it past tense? I, I would say there wasn't a lot of distance until I put it in past tense. I was, it was, there were some dark days. I will say that I'm, I'm not a linear writer. So I wrote the scenes that I really loved, the fun things, the wacky stuff I did to get through it on a day-to-day basis, the the breaking of dishes, the taking my little kids to the Goodwill to buy more dishes when we had run out of dishes to break. And we all would get out in the backyard and, and throw dishes at the side of the garage. You know, the being chased through the grocery store and grabbing the Groucho Marx glasses and, you know, putting them on and turning around and confronting this reporter who'd been hounding me. Those stories were the ones that came out first and yeah. they were burying the ring and the crow in, in the backyard. Those were the things that were fun to write. The parts about the gaslighting, the lies my ex had been telling me, the the scene where I beat the stove, I was kind of, you know, nuts in those days, but I had ways of dealing with it that wouldn't land me in jail. And <laughs> so those were easier to write than the the parts about the press actually showing up on the doorstep and learning more and more details about what my um, then husband had really been up to 
the the I I can only describe that and and I am remarried after 14 years as a single mother. I'm happily married and my poor beloved had to be with me through most of the years I've been writing this. So he's lived a lot of it. He's a big hero. And he would just take one look at me. I'd come down after writing and I always write first thing in the morning and he'd say, oh, you're in the stew. (laughs) And it really was like a thick stew and it wasn't pleasant. I mean, it really wasn't pleasant. And I think anyone that writes difficult things knows that, that this is, it's not a task to be taken lightly. However, I know that many of us are just driven to write it because it's part of getting it out and getting it on the paper of the page that is so healing. And it's really a gift to readers too, who, you know, relate. I think it's really easy. I mean, from somebody who writes a lot of memoir and creative nonfiction and also reads a lot of it, it's, it's very easy to kind of insert myself into like the human pieces of, of a memoir, almost more so than in fiction for me. I, um, yeah. I would have to say, and I read both, but I, I would say that that is true. And, you know, I will tell you that from the emails and messages I get from my readers slash listeners, it's, I mean, there's nothing more rewarding than getting an email or a message from someone saying that my story made such a difference in the space they are right now and knowing they could get through it. I mean, I, it makes me cry every time, but that's the the reward for all the hard work. So yeah, I'm so grateful to all the people out there who've reached out and and taken the time to to send a note or write a review or. On top of that, so like as the the self-reckoning of writing the book sounds like it was very healing and then also receiving um, feedback from your readers also yeah. seems like it was very healing. Yeah, very, very much so. It's, it, yeah, it's pretty fantastic. And, you know, I would hope that although we've all been through, I, you know, I know my experiences are, some of them are extreme and I wouldn't wish them on anyone. But like you said, I think there's a universal experience, especially, you know, amongst women in a very patriarchal society that, that we can all relate to. Yeah. So I know there was a second part to that question. Oh, well, I'm, I'm curious sort of more generally, what, how do you see this relationship between creativity and healing? Um, and it could be, you know, talking about your own healing. It could also just be talking in general about a society's healing or, mm-hmm. you know, the activity of being creative and what that can do for somebody who's experienced a lot of trauma. I think allowing ourselves a creative outlet, no matter what it is. You know, when I was looking at your questions, I was remembering, and I don't even know what happened to them, but for a while when I was in the heat of living this and I had not yet kicked my ex out of the house, I had started like 
painting with oil sticks, like these huge sort of impressionistic. And it was like, where is this stuff coming from? But it was, it was so helpful. And I think the thing that I subscribed to, and I certainly felt I was doing during the experiences and very much so in writing them was that I, the, the decision I made early on when all of these secrets came to light was that I was not going to push any of this down or hold any of it in. I was going to marinate in it, I think is the word I used in my in my book. And I allowed myself to feel it all. And if that meant breaking a dish or burning my ex-husband's t-shirts or you know whatever crazy thing I got up to, I believe that that act of, in those moments, destruction, but those were creative ways of dealing with what was inside and getting it outside. And so I know I have a line in my book where I say, you know, in breaking the dishes, that something in that shattering released me bit by bit. And I will say that what started then continued in the writing of it, because in the writing of it, I could see what I was doing to to get it, get through. And also from that distance, understand my process. So I think if, if there's one thing I'd like to tell every woman on the planet, it would be express yourself, whether it's through writing, through smashing a dish with a hammer, through crayons on, you know, whatever you need to get what's inside, outside, Mm -hmm. that begins to unbind us from these hurts that if we hold inside, I believe, and this is just me, a lay person, but I would imagine there is dis-ease, that that is the root of some dis-ease. And I'm talking, you know, when I, I say this totally, I've not researched it. It's just a belief that I felt if I held this stuff inside, it would riddle me with cancer or some. And to get it out was the healthiest thing that I could have possibly done. So there is that. Does that answer that question? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I'm in complete agreement with you that if you don't feel everything, if you don't express it, get it out, even if you don't destroy, you know, kind of, yeah, your own story or, you know, like you can't create something new. You can't create a new foundation that's healthier. And it does mean I don't know if you've heard of the book called The Body Keeps the Score, but I've heard about that mm, book. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's a really good book. And it's it's really all about how all, everything stays in the body. I mean, it's the body knows all, all the trauma is there and and it's it's in the nervous system and it does create just dis- disease and disease and imbalance and you know creativity as you said it's just it is such a healing process yeah for externalizing what's inside and i think especially as you said for women who we we are put in some tight containers <laughs> in you know in a in living in a patriarchal patriarchal society so yes yeah, I love that message to women to just yeah. any way that you can express yourself, yeah. even if it's anger. And honestly, we need to own our anger. At this, mm-hmm. point, at this point, I think for us to move together and move forward through, you know, in, if we in any way hope to move the needle... <laughs> and get things a little more in balance. We have to own our anger and we have to be able to express it. And yeah, I'm not saying my my methods, they were the best methods for me. You know, another woman may have a, a different way of doing it, but I think it's really, really important. And I know I talk in my book because there were people who were really in my life at that time that were just saying, okay, just kick him out, get it over with, you know, don't. And I said, you know what? He lied to me for seven plus years. If it takes me seven years just to really be done and it didn't, you know, but then I'm taking it because I'm, I'm owed at least that much. So there's, I would say, don't rush, but you know, get having a box of paints or you know, we, we kind of touched on collage. That is, that, that was an amazing tool for me while I was writing. Yeah, uh, tell me about that. So, especially with the more difficult scenes that I had to write, if I, for instance, when, when I was writing or I was getting ready to write the scene where I drive, I think the chapter's called The Big Reveal. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my husband's mistresses arrives at my door to tell me the truth about their affair. And from her truth, I understand that he's having the other affair as well. So I got to find out about both of them on the same day. And, and by this time, Monica was already in Washington. So, so I had to write that scene and I had to get in touch with what it felt like in my body to hear those words, but then also to get in the car, drive across the river to Washington State, where my husband was now teaching, and confront him. And if I can grab the collage that... Yeah, please. Yeah, I would love to see it. I'll show you. So... This is just a few of the collages I've made, but these are all pertaining to the book I'm working on now. So I finally, and this felt so good, was able to take all of of the ones for Everything is Perfect down. I'll definitely explain this process because I would love, I have this dream that someday I'll be able to teach this to writers as a tool. Of course, it's the last one. 
Okay. So I don't know if you can see this, but it's, it's in a plastic sleeve. So it's kind of of hard to see, but there's a house here. The house is on fire. This is my hair streaming. So what, how you do this and you do collage, I understand. I do. Yeah. Well, I'd be really curious to hear what your process is, but Mm -hmm. what I do is when the words won't come and I can't get into a scene. And usually it was when the scenes were really going to be hard. It was, I guess you could describe it as writer's block, but it, 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 what I would do is I'd set my computer off to the side, take a stack of magazines and I'd say a little meditation or prayer, whatever suits each individual. And I would leaf through magazines and look at pictures. And if there was something that for some reason I felt, I wouldn't have any explanation for why it it was speaking to me, but some image on this big page. And I would just rip that page out and I would stack up these torn, you know, full magazine sheets And usually with only about five images max, I'd be ready to set the stack of magazines aside and sit with the images that I had responded to. And then slowly I, you cut out, I would cut out the the parts of that. So for instance, the hair obviously was part of a picture of some, probably a shampoo commercial. (laughs) and just start to take the parts of the scene. I'm going to, not that we're on video or any, I mean, taping this visually or anything, but. Well, actually it is being taped. Oh, is it? (laughs) Okay. So you can see it a little better without the. Yeah, that's perfect. So, you know, the hair and then the speeding train and the house, and it's so tiny, but there's a, there are firemen here putting out a fire. Yeah, And and then I, I would sit with those and I would start to just move them around and I order these cards. I'll, I can give you all the information. I don't know if you, here's another one that I think is really around this same time. And it's the aftermath of what it felt like to have yeah. this destruction. So I, I would then sit and mess around with the the pictures and I'd come up with an arrangement on the card that just, I can't describe it other than cha-chink. It just felt like the pieces were in the right relationship to each other. And then I would give it a title and I, you know, I'd say, okay, what, what is this about? And I, and I would end up with a title. And sometimes I jot down some other sentences. And Brenna, it was like a miracle every time, because once I had that process done, an entire, the, the whole first, you know, it would just flow. The writing would start to flow. And I think it was as much about a physical manifestation of what the feelings were at that 
time that then allowed me to find the words that would describe that yeah with you know my prose so it was pretty spectacular and i think i ended up with I don't know, some 40 collages. I have, I think, 50 some odd chapters in the book. And some of them, you know, like these two were kind of created around the same time and Mm -hmm. expressed the same feelings that I was trying to get to. Anyway, I'd love to hear how your, what your process for collage is. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I mean, for me, collage is a really powerful way of, exploring my intuition and exploring feelings that are inside that I can't quite understand. Like I don't, I know, I know they're manifesting in some way, like it's often as like tension or anxiety or something like that. Or, and if there's, you know, I, our feelings for me, at least my feelings really speak in images and dreams. Mm -hmm. And that's the most, I'm, I'm a pretty avid like dream recorder. And I, oh cool. in a lot of my personal essays, I, my dreams are in there too. Not this, this is more of a new thing in the past couple of years, but anyway, so a lot of, for me, there's sort of like this discomfort in my body Mm -hmm. and in my days, like an unease. And so I'll pull out and it's, you know, sometimes it's connected to my writing and sometimes it's just, it's not connected to something I'm writing about. But, you know, honestly, it's always connected because I'm one person. (laughs) So, um, but in the past, I used to just collage in order to like understand what was going on. And I did much like you, I would just kind of quickly like I didn't yeah. do it with too much thought because I have a very strong inner critic so to yeah. bypass that I would yeah you know do it quickly like look through a bunch of magazines rip out images that appealed to me in some way or and sometimes they weren't beautiful images you know they were right. things that I was called to and then yeah I would collect a bunch of them and sometimes I would do this over over a days or mm-hmm. weeks it wasn't all in one sitting Mm. Um, and then, you know, when, so sometimes I would like pull out the images and then maybe the next day I would come to them again and sort of start to arrange them. And once I started arranging them though, the process happened really fast and they, they usually like, like kind of for you, it just came together. And instead of putting a title to it, I would find some words after I was all done with the images coming together. I usually had quite a much clearer sense of like what was going on for me. Cool. Yeah. Whether it was like, oh, wow, this I'm, I'm in a real thick moment of grief. Like I just, I need to feel this. Like I need to feel this pain. And a a lot of it was like difficult emotions. Yeah. Or I need to, I'm, I'm so confused. I'm in the shadows right now and I need to feel like, how, how do I get out of these shadows? Like, what's that process? What are, what are things that I can do to like move myself out of this? So anyway, I would look for some words that kind of just brought the whole thing together for me in a way that made sense. It was like, it was almost like his whole story was just there. Yeah. And, and so in the beginning of my process, my collages really didn't have a lot to do with the pieces I was writing, but mm-hmm. now, now they, the whole process, like I do both hand in hand and yeah. I am actually in, a, in the process of putting together a collection of my collages and my, the writing and, yeah. that I did at that same time. And I'm seeing all the parallels. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. 
so fabulous. I can't wait to see that collection. Hope it comes out soon. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have, have you just aside from that, have you had an issue? Because what I've been told is because the images come from magazines, you have to be really careful about reprinting your collages because the images, even though they're collaged, belong to the entities that created them. Interesting. Have you run into any feedback like (laughs) No, I haven't. And and I probably will once I move more forward. Like I'm not ready yet to to, um, explore that because I'm still kind of in the process right now of putting things together and seeing how they fit. But but a lot of my collages are like ribbon, you know, like, like there's ribbon, there's press leaves. Oh, um, so you're adding. There's a lot of other stuff in okay, there cool. and there are images, but they're not easily, they're not really like, like some of them are just art from a card somebody gave me. And actually what's interesting is a lot of times, so I, I do use a lot of magazine images, but I also save a lot of cards people give me and just mm-hmm. ribbons that my mom has wrapped presents for me with. And a lot of times what I select ha- is often tied to that object or that. that okay, um, interesting. Yeah. So for example, there was one collage I made a couple of years ago and I didn't even really know fully that it was about grief and sort of holding space for somebody else's grief, but I was selecting, but I had that feeling of discomfort and I was selecting all these images and they were all images of people like cards people would give me that I missed also a a grief card, like a condolence card that my that my partner received right after his brother passed away a couple years ago so it was a right around that time and some of the images I didn't look at the I just kind of selected the images quickly and didn't even remember where they came from but then when I was assembling the collage like I would look I would look at the back of the card and you know, then the meaning of it would, would sort of be one of the pieces of the story of the collage. Yeah, uh, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. So yeah, but, but that's a really interesting question. And so I, yeah. I, I was curious for the collages that you're making for your next book, are you going to investigate publishing them with the text? I would love to do that. And what I understand is that if you're if there's just a smidge, there's something called, it's just like with music, you can use a fair, I think it's called fair use or I can't remember. So if it's just something, a little piece of something that you, you're entitled to use so much of it. I would love to use my collages in my next book, but I also have copious numbers of photographs that, that I've taken that I could use to illustrate that book as well. Yeah. Tell me about, tell me about that book that you're working on. (laughs) Well, it's pretty fascinating. So it is, as I said, a book about my great grandmother's fictitious ancestry. I am named after her. And when she, when I was a little girl, she told me that she was French. She taught me how to speak French. Everything was French, 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 French. And when I got to college, I finally decided I was going to shed the French and start taking Italian and fell madly in love with the Italian language. My degree in art history was a major in Italian Renaissance. And I kind of ran away to Italy. Actually, my last quarter at UCLA, I 
left town and lived in Florence for about a year until my dad tracked me down and begged me to come back and finish school. So I came back, finished my last quarter, all Italian electives. And then I went back and lived in Florence for another year. Fast forward many years and my grandmother, so my, the daughter of my namesake, my great, my great grandmother's daughter was dying. And I flew to LA to see her before she died. And there was a deathbed confession that, that Nana, my namesake, had lied. She was not French at all. She was really Italian. And in that moment, my entire life made sense in a way that, once again, goosebumps for the second yeah, time. Yeah, me too. All. But it was such a life affirming experience and one that I've always been fascinated by and have never been able to get the truth. So just this morning before we got on the call, I finally hired a genealogist because I'm actually the, the gift of having this book behind me is that I finally, it's like taking down those collages. I'm, I have the bandwidth to work on this one, which will be way more fun because I see it as my connection to her hidden heritage that was innate. I was drawn there and I had the experience, you know, this, the, the, the phrase deja vu. Oh yeah. There is something called deja visite, which is an arm. They've done these studies of this phenomenon and deja visite, or if I were to say it in Italian, which I'd prefer, deja visitato, <laughs> is the feeling that you've been in a place before when you never have. And the very moment that my foot hit the train platform in Tuscany, I knew without a doubt that I was home and that I had been there some time or I, I was connected to this place. So for all these years, my grandmother watched me going back and forth to Italy, speaking Italian, cooking Italian meals for her, telling her all these wild stories of my life there. And then on her deathbed felt so compelled that it was important that I know this secret that no one can get to the bottom of because she was the working title of the book is La Bujarda, which means the liar. <laughs> but I love how, I mean, this is an amazing story and I can't wait to read the book when it comes out. I'm really excited about this. But I also, I love how it really just, it, it continues this theme that your other book really delved deeply into about following your intuition. Yes. You know, this deja vu and what's the Italian word for it? Ja visitato, which ja means visitato. already visited. I love it. It's really, I mean, I, I have that relationship to Japan and, and it's, I, I love words that aren't in English that, it, that, ex, you know, express and explore a feeling that, like that, you know, that yeah. I, I don't know how to explain that, you know, Japan. I get nostalgic at, you know, oh. even watching movies. I've lived in Japan, mm -hmm. but not, not for long periods of time, you know, a year. And then I've been to Japan many times and I, I have a close friend who's Japanese. 
but it's like before even all of that, I just, I was drawn to the country, the culture. I would watch movies and feel homesick and not really understand. And so again, it was like the, the knowing comes first in the body and in the, in the heart, in the feeling. Yeah. It's in the body and it's really, yeah, it's incredible. So I'm very excited. This will be way more fun to write because (laughs) it's really a way to tell my experiences living in Florence for those two years, all the trips. My my dad and I got married there. We go every year now. And the miracle of that is pretty, that's all going to be in the book. But Mm -hmm. also then this exploration, which may have to be speculative about my grandmother, although just Mm -hmm. this morning I I found out some more interesting things. So yeah, a lot is happening really fast. So I'm excited about it and way more fun to write. But I had to write that that first one first before (laughs) and get it out of my, you know, it was taking up space. So, yeah. yeah. Yes. And as I said, the the gift in having it out there is, is, you know, the people that have written to let me know how, how profoundly it affect my story affected them. So that's a beautiful thing. Anyway. Well, as a final question, um, uh-huh. what's one of your creative aspirations for the future besides writing this book? Oh, I have a project that I am dying to do. I take a gazillion photographs. I have since my dad gave me my first single lens reflex camera when I was and taught me darkroom skills when I was like in sixth grade, I think. So I've been taking pictures all my life. I have a huge, ridiculous number of my posts on Instagram that are all about the photos I take. I'd love for you to follow me because it, it there's a lot of Italy. When I'm in Italy, I, it's crazy. So, but I have this project in Florence on nearly every street corner is a uh, shrine to the Virgin Mary. And they are in nowadays, I mean, they were all installed there. They're called uh, different things in different parts of Italy. And right now I'm calling this the Madonella project, but they were originally installed at the ends of street corners and they had lanterns in them to light the streets for the passers-by long before electricity. And now the thing that fascinates me about these shrines, and I have a relationship with the Virgin Mary, which I talk about in my book, Mother Mary, but it's the juxtaposition of the divine with, or the sacred, let's say, with the profane, Mm -hmm. because often there's there's Mary and here's the pizza parlor or the trattoria or the newsstand. Mm-hmm. And the photographs that I've been taking of these are so much fun because they're old, they're crumbling, and yet someone will come and lay flowers there. So for mm-hmm. someone in that community, this particular place is very important. They work to keep it up. But there it is next to, you know, you know, a pizza joint or the barber shop or so it's the the I want to do a photo book of these photographs along with a little bit of of history 
and just some musings on, you know, this particular street corner and my observations. So that's, I think, one of the projects that I've got out there. I have other people telling me I have to do a book of my photographs with like my sunsets. We we have a I spent a lot of time at the beach. And so if you, you look at my Instagram, there are loads of beach pe- pictures. And those I usually post with either a line from Rumi, poet who has been very inspirational and and one of my guides, I would say, or so I have many people in my life saying, you've got to get that done. You've got to publish that book. So that's another thing that would combine words and pictures. And I think that is something that I really look forward to putting together, kind of like your project, you know? Yeah. It's really just hearing you talk about your experiences, you know, writing your book, also, you know, working on the new project you're working on. It's just so so inspiring to me at how how much of your creative process is this like noticing and observing the kind of mundane everyday the traumatic and making it sacred and making it make meaning and making it make this have this personal growth spiritual value and I just think that's so that is to me is really the power of creativity and and I your work and your your personality and what you're drawn to and what you're working on is just such a beautiful reflection of that. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story and in your creative process with our listeners. Oh, Brenna, thank you so much. This has been a really fun conversation and I can't wait to see your book of collages. And if you ever want to just share one, I'd love to see them. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, really fascinating. And I'm just so grateful to be able to spend this time with you. So So where can we find you? I mean, you mentioned your Instagram and, you know, I'll put all these things in the show notes too. Okay, Um, great. Yeah, I'm on Instagram as state o Kate, all one word, lowercase. My website is katenasonwrites.com. And that sort of will you know, update all the articles that have been written on my, about my current book and any other newsy bits will show up there. And I, I really want to add a page to my website, which I hope to be doing soon, that contains my collages and mm-hmm. talks about the process of making them both for writers or anyone that's just trying to, like you do, sort of figure out what it is that I'm grappling with that I can't put my finger on. Yeah. I really think going visual really helps that. Yeah. It's such a power. Yeah. yeah. It's such a powerful way to connect to intuition and to what we already know, but don't yes. know. know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, well, thank you so much, Kate. I'm so grateful. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful and I'm, I'm so happy that we had this time. I'll look forward to maybe future opportunities. Absolutely. You take very good care. You too. Thanks for tuning in to Creative Recovery. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast or my coaching and workshop offerings, please visit brennacoaching.com or DM me on Instagram at brenna.ef. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review. It helps grow this community and serve more people. 
Thanks for joining me on this creative journey of discovery and transformation.